I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure, which allows you, the listener, to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing. That is either a 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99 a month. Meaning that you, the listener, and me, the creator, can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things. Because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast. But I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening. And I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be covering my recovery routine for 2020, but it still continues into 2021. I wrote a blog that I released actually January 1st of this year. I never got around to actually recording that in an audio version. And now here we are at the end of March and it's better late than never. And so with that, we're going to jump into it. As a minor note here is I'm going to use my recovery routine blog as my blueprint to speak on this, but I'm going to meander. I'm going to expand on things that either I've changed or I've updated or whatever, anything that comes to mind and I'm just going to run with it. So here we go. So the first thing is that I've spoken a lot about on the podcast, the importance of crafting a routine that works for you. One thing I haven't gone into much detail is my own routine. One silver lining of the pandemic has been that it has allowed me to get more deeply in tune with my routine. By that, asking myself questions about what is working and what I need to improve on. I will be covering that. As a note, at least on the blog side of things, I will also be talking about products that I use. I am not sponsored by any of these products, but I will include Amazon links when possible so that you can support the show by supporting those links. If you don't want to do that, totally fine. Totally get it. The point is not to make money from this, but to share the tools and habits that I have put in place. Part one of this that I believe is the foundation of what makes this possible is sleep. By sleep, we all know in this culture that, or at least as I was growing up, sleep was so undervalued that if you were sleeping six hours a night, you were cool. Burning the midnight oil or I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's so commonplace in our culture. That was one of my big points in this exploration about recovery. It's always about how do I maximize the number of hours of sleep so that I can be functioning without having my energy flag throughout the day or when I need it most, right? 
most of us know what it's like to have a 2 p.m. crash. Most of us know that if we give ourselves time to slow down and not drink any caffeine or any other stimulant of such, that you're going to fall asleep. And so for me, my general rule is for sleep consistency. What that means is that no matter what day, I try to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. It's my number one thing. So right now, just so for maximum accountability, I go to bed around 12.31 in the morning. I do go to bed a little bit later than I would like personally, but it's just kind of how it is. I find myself becoming more productive later in my night. And it's weird, mentally speaking, I will look at the clock at 10 o'clock and say, hey, that's a lot of time left. <laughs> and I'll continue to my, on my day like that. So the other part of this is that there's a thing called sleep debt. And what sleep debt is basically the amount of sleep that you ha should have gotten but weren't able to get. So imagine you go to bed and you think you're going to get the seven hours of sleep. And then you wake up an hour earlier or more. Someone wakes you up. Your dog wakes you up. Your kid crying in the other room, whatever. Or you get a phone call from your boss and you got to be up earlier or go to work earlier. That disrupted sleep is then called sleep debt, which you then would have to technically make up. But the things that sleep debt, you really can't make up. It's just the way it is. And then on top of this, I just have a final recommendation that if you really do care about sleep, I would highly recommend checking out Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And he also has a pretty good TED talk on this. Though, so since writing this and further exploration as I did see some articles coming out about a rebuttal to Matthew Walker's work, which is not entire accurate and of such, which fine, there will always be inaccuracies or new stuff that comes out that may or may not be true. Whenever one, someone puts out a book, such as something like sleep, that is such a broad category. I get it. If it helps you put more importance in your sleep, then fine, go for it. Next up, we have tracking sleep and recovery. So this is not for everyone, but for anyone out there who's has an obsession for tracking your sleep, tracking metrics, just quantifying the self, so to speak, I highly recommend you do something. So the two that I use are Whoop and Aura Ring. And as if you're a longtime reader of this podcast or reader of the blog slash listener to the podcast, you will know that I am been a proponent for these technologies for a long time and I still am in general if you want to understand your own sleep and your own recovery you have to track it the things that are measured get managed is a fancy quote for this for me they really just help me instead of having a mental note of hey what I'm sleeping about X amount of time. I can look to a thing that's objective and it says, this is when you went to bed, this is when you woke up, this is how, based on whatever your behaviors were, it will give me a metric with my HRV and my resting heart rate, and it will tell me, hey, this is what your recovery looks like. You might want to either check in and take it easy today, or go to bed early tomorrow, or today, or you can go ahead and push it and get after it. And it, it really helps me gauge my own performance. So the final note there or caveat I would put is that if something like tracking your sleep is going to increase your anxiety about sleep, for instance, I have heard that some people when they are given something like these, they will turn the gamification of the sleep stuff on and basically get distracted. Meaning if they are partaking in a behavior where they know they should have been asleep at a certain time, 
it's going to cause issues. And then on the same token, it's going to give you anxiety that if you wake up in the early in the night and you're like, oh man, this is going to give me a worse sleep score. If you were of that disposition, then I highly recommend you probably avoid these types of devices. But that being said, I think it depends on the individual, but almost all of us can at least gain some insights, even if we only wear it for a short amount of time. All right, next up that I believe is part of my core foundation for recovery is what I consider to be time-restricted feeding or what most people commonly call the intermittent fasting. And so the reason I call it time-restricted feeding, though, fasting is at a distinction of greater than 24 hours. Whereas for me, I am on average fasting about 14 hours a day. And now for some of you, that may sound insane. And I totally get it. I didn't just jump into this and be like, you know what, now I'm just going to not eat 14 hours a day or 12 hours a day. It took a lot of practice and paying attention to my own schedule to when I needed to eat to function at my best. And what I mean function at my best is like where in my day do I need to have focus? And if you are feeling hungry, obviously the only thing you're going to be able to think about is eating next. And focus for you could be a meeting, could be school, could be work, could be going to the gym. And so I leave that to you to discover what works best for you. The other part of this is that I wanted to have a behavioral check around the cravings I would get late at night. So I'm not really a big sweets person, but I would just get food cravings like hungry around 8, 9 o'clock, maybe a little bit later even sometimes. By doing this, by saying I stop eating at about 8.30 at night every day, it would then limit me from making bad decisions that would affect the quality of my sleep. One of the things that I noticed is that eating late at night, not even a lot of calories, like just a couple hundred or so would affect the quality of my rest. So by saying I stop eating at this time, then I will be able to mitigate any of those issues. On top of this too, on a given day, it also stops you from indulging in too much alcohol. As we all know, that's going to affect your quality of sleep. And as another note on intermittent fasting is that depending on who you are, or even on the day, the duration you fast or when you fast or how you fast is going to change. And you're going to have to figure out what works best for you here. For instance, I can do fasted cardio and fasted workouts pretty much no problem at this point. Though, I would probably say I can't push myself as hard as if I were to have eaten something. I track my fasting through the Zero Fasting app. It's really straightforward. There's also a paid feature. I don't use it right now, but in general, it just tells me register the habit on my phone where you can set the duration of your fast. And if you remember to go in there and you just hit start and stop, it's basically just a timer, but just for tracking fasts in particular. I think it's pretty useful. And if it helps you stay on track, then go ahead and use it. The other thing is how strict is of a fast do you want and there's some purists out there that you can't really do anything as long if it would be activating your gut in some form like drinking a cup of coffee then you have to pay attention to that so for me i am not technically following a strict water fast though i thought i was for a very long time and we'll get into this but i would typically take my multivitamin supplement in the morning 
which would technically be breaking my fast, even though I didn't consider it to be because it doesn't have any really active calorie content. I think it's like only three calories or something like that. So again, up to you on that. And then on the website, I have a couple resources for you. So there's an article called Behind the Intermittent Fasting Fad, the Zero app, and then there's a podcast from Peter Tia with Jason Fung, which I highly recommend you check out if you're interested in just fasting as a broad category. So next up, I'm going to cover like how I break down my day into blocks, morning, afternoon, workout, post-workout, and then the power down. And so here I will be just going over every part of my routine and the products I use at different times and why I use them. So starting with the morning. So one of the pandemic silver lining is that I've been able to maximize my time in bed and fine tune my morning routine without a commute to worry about. As I mentioned with the fasting part of this is I start my routine with athletic greens. And if you're an avid podcast listener like myself, you will have had heard of an ad for their product guaranteed at this point. And Honestly, I hadn't known about Athletic Greens prior to the podcast fad. I was first introduced to the product because I listened to the podcast with Chris Ashenden, who is the founder of Athletic Greens, on Finding Mastery. Then hearing this product and understanding the reason for the product's existence helped me understand the importance of the product. From that point forward, I did the math and I looked at all the ingredients and said, hey, this makes sense. From an economic standpoint for me, is if I care about just having a singular multivitamin, then this seems to cover all my bases without actually worrying about whether or not I'm buying my own stack and making my own things. I've went through the phase where I've explored <laughs> way too many supplements, and this just cut through all of that. Even though it is more expensive than your average multivitamin, I think it's worth it from what you get, some total. Easily put. If someone were to ask me if they should get one supplement, what should they get? I think my answer would be athletic greens. On days that I don't think I want to drink athletic greens or just taking a break or for whatever reason, just not interested, I will also try Lion's Mane coffee every so often. I'm not a huge coffee drinker, but in the wintertime, it's nice. Just have a little warm-up and stuff like that. Even though I'm not a big fan of coffee, I do find it fun to spice up different flavors and things like that. Some early research that shows neurite regrowth with the supplementing of lion's mane and its possible benefits could ward off neurodegeneration later in life with such as Alzheimer's. And there's a link to a study there. And just for fun, I have a coffee recipe that I use. The coffee I use is Four Sigmatic Lion's Mane Pre-Ground Coffee. And doesn't even need to be that one, just whatever coffee. And then I throw some cinnamon alcohol-free vanilla, let it steep for two to three minutes, and then I use in the cup some layered superfood creamer, and that's it. That, and so that about wraps up my morning. And then I really just drink water after any of these supplements. I don't snack. I don't do anything else because I still consider it to be part of my fast or, well, in quotes, fasting, because if I have coffee with creamer, then not fasting. <laughs> Moving on to the afternoon. So typically, I will eat lunch, which is my biggest meal of the day, more or less. And then I think just having a bigger meal primes my system for my early evening workouts. So this was in the summer that I was mostly doing this because I would go on bike rides or runs in the summer when all the gyms were closed. Since then, as the weather got colder, 
I've actually transitioned this, so I will actually eat lunch, a lighter lunch that feels more digestible, like salady and things like that, like bowls of vegetables, usually fermented, things like that, that I will eat right before the gym, like 30 minutes or so before the gym, and then go to the gym and work out. So it really matters, whatever matters to you. And then normally I go to eat when I feel like brain fog is starting to set in and all I can think about is when I'm eating. And so typically right around now is it seems about 1230 for me. With my lunch or shortly after, I will use a omega-3 fish oil. And the one I used at the time was Uno Cardio 1000. And the reason I did this is that it actually had a vitamin D paired with it. So it had 1,180, which was broken to EPA and DHA. And I thought D3 was really important in it after. And so the driving factor here was through a podcast, also from Peter Tia with Bill Harris. Broadly speaking, I thought that the podcast really laid out a strong case for not only the reason why you should have more fish oil or omega-3s in your diet, but also the like synergistic benefits of the D3. Since then, I've made it a staple in my like post-lunch routine to have a fish oil of some sort. So here's pre-workout, and I thought of this as something that I took around 2 p.m. before. Since then, it has moved, and now it's whenever before my workout. So right now I'm probably drinking it around 11, 30, or 12. And there's two reasons for this, mostly. As I mentioned before, I've gone down the rabbit hole with supplements in the past. One of those supplements that has stuck with me is a brand called Jim. J-Y-M, and this specific supplement that's still stuck with me is pre-gym. It's the only typical gym supplement you you would expect, like of the pre and post-workout type things that I use, and it really woke me up to the idea of proprietary blends and companies hiding the exact ingredients in their product, whereas pre-gym has everything listed on it, exactly the ratios you're getting. And person may say, but Athletic Greens is full of proprietary bends. And yes, that is absolutely true. But just for your bang for your buck, I still believe it's worth it. And I'm going to take their word for it. And it's certified as such. And at this point, it's worth mentioning the note on stimulants. As I said, I try to take this around 2 p.m. And or before 2 p.m., which is that caffeine, as we all know, is a stimulant and it can affect the quality of your sleep. Again, this is also dependent on who you are. The thing about pre-gym is that it actually is quite high in the amount of caffeine that is in it. There's, I believe, 300 milligrams. So in that, you really got to take it with a grain of salt. If it gives you the jitters and you feel it crashing or you have trouble sleeping, then, you know, do what you will. I have tried to limit it, and I do limit it every so often where I'll take like a month off or something like that and just see what my body does without caffeine. I think it's really important that we do this to ourselves because caffeine is just everywhere. And so being stimulated all the time, it's like you have to give your body, your brain really a rest to see what baseline is. Like what is your normal state? Because a lot of us can use caffeine to just keep going for much longer than we actually should be. And so if you're someone who wants to avoid caffeine, 
I have also experimented with cordyceps, which is another mushroom, and I really enjoy that. Some research points to improved endurance when supplementing with uh, cordyceps. I have links to a couple studies there. And the brand I have bought there is Four Sigmatic, but I think any like organic brand is probably pretty good. Just do your research and you should find plenty of good brands there. I think there is a noticeable impact of cordyceps in cardiovascular uh, endurance in the short term. I can take it around, you know, 30 minutes or so before a workout and actually continually keep up a pace that I normally wouldn't if I had not taken it, which is really interesting. It's very subtle. Like you don't feel like the rush that caffeine and other pre-workout get, give you because it isn't a stimulant. It's just an organic mushroom. So again, experiment, see if you like it. And it's, I think it's worth your time to check it out. I'm just going to touch base on a quick overview of my workout but I'm not going to really go into like super specifics because it's beyond the scope. In general, I try to work out on any given day, uh, probably six days a week at least, maybe five, depending. I, I don't really think I need to take off days. I'm not an athlete, and I'm not really killing myself in the gym. So unless I have something going on where I just can't make it to the gym, then fine. But most days, especially with the pandemic, there's not a whole lot going on, so I, I'm trying to make it to the gym just to keep myself sane. Otherwise, I'll be locked in my own rooms and stuff and it would drive me crazy. <laughs> sure, we all feel a little crazy right now. My broader philosophy for working out is, is pretty simple. It's either broken into like functional movements with like hip hinging, pull-ups, and rowing. And then outside of those functional movements, I will always try to break my like barbell and like typical gym workout stuff into one of three things, which I consider push, pull, and legs. Legs is posterior chain, just anything below the waist. And then push-pull is for, like, upper body. And I, like I said, I don't really want to go too much detail because we can do that at a future time. So at a higher level is if you're using a whoop, which it makes this easy, I try to hit what is considered low optimal strain. So in whoop, based on your recovery for that day, it'll give you a, a targeted strain, but that is an optimal range. In general, my goal is to hit the minimal optimal strain. Does it always happen? No, but I try to do it anyways because it's playing the long game. Consistency over time will see significant benefit. There's also a benefit that I try to leverage much more this year than I had in the past is I ran more than I ever have, and I got back on my bike for more miles as well. And so my typical workout was between 4.30 and 6 p.m. And like I said, I'm experimenting with the noon workouts, which I already talked about. So beyond this is I tried to, to get outside in the natural sunlight as much as possible. And I found a study on the benefit of sunlight, a bright spot for human health. And another story from found my fitness on fat tissue has receptors for sunlight as they affect fat metabolism. And I think those are really interesting. And then as a final note with the recovery aspect of this is like when to do stretching and if, and or when, or do I do it? I do some stretching, nothing crazy, but I do try to be aware that I do sit a lot. Like I'm recording a podcast, so I have to sit and I do a day job that I require to send emails and be on call. So there's a lot there. And so I really focus on the hip areas and trying to make sure those don't get too tight. I try to do arm swings and leg swings to open that up. I also focus heavily on shoulder tightness and try to make sure that I don't have that. And typically I'm prone to carrying tension in my shoulders. So like my shoulders, like in the traps, if you know that, or in my uh, neck, I will carry a lot of tension there. 
We move on to my post-workout routine, which is where I focus mostly on transitioning into the evening part of my day where I do a lot of the work for not only this podcast, but either that or hanging out with friends, recording things, editing things, you name it. And so typically to pay attention to this transitioning, and I actually made a podcast about this, which is, it's this term called liminality or liminal spaces. I just really enjoy that. Most of the time we think of transitions in bigger terms like graduations, work promotions, marriages, moving out, those kinds of things. But with the pandemic, I really thought that there was a really important thing for people who work from home that they really needed to pay attention to how they transition their days so that they can get their mind into different modes of operation, basically. For me, if I was going to say stuck in work mode, I would need to do something to kickstart that. And it was really working out. And then my like dinner and it was working out, then dinner, then meditation that really helped me get into that next headspace. And in this sense, habit stacking is very important for me. I have not read James Clear's book, but he talks about this idea. And I probably picked it up from somewhere. Someone said it referencing his work. I don't know where I got it. But basically, is putting things in your routine that you're going to do so that you can... I hate using those words, but check the box. And... So for me, putting meditation after my shower or during my shower or somewhere around the shower works for me. And so I don't do anything crazy. I mostly use the Sam Harris's app, Waking Up, and do 10 minutes a day. And if I don't do that, I will use like lo-fi music, anything on YouTube. I'm sure you can find something with a guided meditation nowadays. There are sources everywhere. It's Things that help me just let go of anything that's maybe hanging on from my work day. The other part of this is I try to do focusing on my nasal breathing. I think it's really important. There's a book called Breathe by James Nestor. Highly recommend you check that out. Then beyond this, if you are someone like me who likes the science of all these things, if you want to go a little bit deeper into the science of meditation... I highly recommend the book Altered Traits if you want to go there. As I mentioned dinner, in this point, I'm going to talk about a little bit on alcohol and everyone's going to have kind of either two reactions here as well, duh, or they have some sort of benefit of alcohol that they don't want to give up. Totally fair. I make sure basically not to drink almost 90% of the time. (laughs) It's one of the things that I've really noticed from using wearables that there are positive social benefits from drinking alcohol that allow you to talk with people and hang out and have a good time. But on a physiological level, drinking alcohol has serious negative impacts. For instance, me having raw data that I can look at and say, you drank this amount and now look at this morning, your recovery is down the tubes. And so on average, at least at the time of this writing, I was seeing about a negative 11% impact on my recovery when I chose to drink. So that being said, when I do choose to drink, I don't drink nearly as much. And also I try to avoid how late I do drink 
this ties into having late meals. I think that the later you drink means the less time your body has to process the alcohol. So if I am going to drink, I drink earlier, and then I make sure to drink plenty of water, if not more water than I think I need, to make sure it's through my system. The last section we're going to be talking about here is what I've dubbed the power down. The This is where I basically it's the end of the night, late at night, right before bed, a couple hours or so before bed. One of the things I did during the wintertime this year was really focus on blue light blocking glasses. I would wear them basically whenever there was a... The sun had gone down. So here in the Midwest, we have daylight savings time. And so we get dark actually pretty early. And I just noticed that because I was sitting behind my computer so much more often, given I had a job that was remote and mostly screen bound, I was feeling more fatigued from just being behind screens. So I wanted to experiment by wearing blue light blocking glasses post work to see if that would alleviate anything there. Since as the summer months start to show up, I've actually not been wearing my blue light blocking glasses nearly as much. The two brands I have used is Gunners and Felix Gray. You can use check out the links for either of those. The Gunners are more computer gamer style glasses, whereas Felix Gray can have more traditional style glasses. The other thing to note too is depending on what you do at the end of your day can have a pretty important impact on the quality of your rest. For instance, if you're doing something that's really mentally intensive and keeps you engaged, like watching something on, on or playing an intense video game or just being generally active, your brain's going to take longer to wind. And so I typically would see better benefits if I did something that was just a more low-key activity, like reading a book, watching a movie, stuff like that, where I'm not meant as mentally stimulated to do those things. Now going to magnesium, the first thing here is I was I do take uh, a magnesium that's specific. It's called L-theranate, and L-theranate is a magnesium transporter helping it cross the blood-brain barrier for better absorption. There's a small study that shows magnesium L-theranate to improve cognitive function in people with mild to moderate dementia. And then on another Peter Tia podcast, can you tell that I like Peter Tia? Um, he had Dr. Richard Ixxen on. He's the director of the Alzheimer Prevention Clinic and believes that magnesium L-theranate may help with sleep, in which he has found helpful for stressed out type A people. That's a quote. The brand that I've used is Jaro Formulas MagMind. And the other supplement here that is all the rage is of course, CBD oil. The second supplement and probably the newest addition to my overall stack of things that I consume on a regular basis is CBD oil. I'm sure all of you have heard the hype of CBD if you're listening to this at this point. As always, I'm pretty skeptical. <laughs> I, I really don't take something just to take it. I like to take it and quantify it in some way. And that's again where Whoop comes in and I'll get there really quick. But basically, CBD is being added to just about everything you can imagine right now. There's drinks, there's balms, there's lotions, there's the oils you, you put under your tongue. And if it works for you, fine. If you want to get more specific, then you got to do the homework. And so here's this kind of the lowdown with CBD. So CBD stands for cannabidiol, which is the other compound found in the cannabis plant. The other compound we most of us 
have also heard of is THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, which is a, the psychoactive component. In normal terms, is CBD is the component that will not get you high. Brief overview here is that the mechanism of action is, seems to be anti-inflammatory, activates the CNS GABA receptors, and then it also decreases in anxiety. So in my experience, initial use of CBD, like the first few weeks of it, I noticed major upticks in my HRV. It was really interesting to see how much my body had responded, meaning I went from 30 milliseconds and all the way up to almost 100 milliseconds within the first few weeks of taking CBD, which is pretty insane to see those kinds of changes just from changing only one thing. But there are nuances there that I'm not sure how to tease out without being too complicated here. The only thing I could say is that if you do want to buy something, start with a certified product that you know what the concentration is independently tested and start at a lower dose than you think you should and then ramp up slowly. It can take up to a week to load in to see like actual results from CBD and it will be subtle. At least for me, I don't really feel too much different like from my baseline. There is a third podcast I will also recommend here, which is Deborah Kimless and Stephen Golder. And they talk all about uh, cannabis and the latest science on CBD and THC, broadly speaking. So if you're more interested in this aspect, there is that to go listen to. The last piece of tech that I use, though I use it more as an alarm at this point rather than as a wind-down tool, though I should be using it as a wind-down tool, we'll get to that part, is what is called the wake-up light. This is a smart LED that mimics the rising and setting of the sun. So basically, you set a, the timer on it, and it'll slowly you know, start at a bright yellow and then walk its way down whatever time you set it to, to going from yellow to orange to red and then fading out. And then on the wake-up side is it has no harsh alarm and it ramps itself up both in light setting and then it will do like a bird's chirping and more natural sound so that the idea is that if you use a traditional alarm like on your phone is that jarring whatever the volume you set your phone at is going to give you more spike of cortisol which is less useful in quality of your wakefulness than if you do something like this. I've actually found myself... That with this alight, I will be woken up just by the light first most times, and then the alarm will wake me up afterwards, which is actually fascinating, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, we're dinural animals, meaning that we wake up during the day and are active during the day, so that if you get these orange light triggers, then you're more likely to wake up when those are around. So, here are just some closing thoughts and areas of improvement that I think I can approve on and and. Partly why I created this is really just to keep myself accountable and share it with people and see what comes out of it. If this helps someone else, then I think it's a win. If I'm told that what I've shared here is completely ridiculous, then cool, because then I've learned something from it. And so one of my biggest weaknesses is that I go to bed later than I want to, I like I said, and... For a solid few months, I was actually doing really well, meaning that I was not having my TV turned on in my room. It was literally unplugged. I was reading almost every night for about 10 to 15 minutes, 
I was sleeping great and I had a lot more restful sleep. But now, since the pandemic has started, I've fallen back into the habit of turning on the TV, setting the timer on the TV and falling asleep with the TV on for some time. There is some data to show that will have some effect on the quality of your rest just by having that extra blue light exposure. Then just presenting all of this information, I realized for me that I I knew that I was type A, but realizing that everything that I try to do is all about focusing on how to turn down my nervous system. I get myself to chill out and be present, take a deep breath, meditation, CBD, magnesium. <laughs> it's like all of these tools just to try and get myself to ratchet back down a little bit rather than just being this hyper switched on all the time. Does this mean that I'm good at this? Probably not because I'm putting all of this effort into <laughs> managing this stuff. So it's really a difficult thing. So with that final caveat, so none of this to say is this is, will this work for you, right? I cannot say that. All I can say is that here is what I do. Here's what it looks like is working for me in this current state. Here are the things that I'd like to change, right? If it sounds like something you want to try and you go and listen to some of the resources, read some of the books, and it sounds like something you should add to your routine, I have links for all of the things that I've shared. Again, not sponsored by any of them, but I think they're worth every penny that I spent on them to, in hopes, live better. With that, everyone, please continue to experiment away. And I'll catch you all in the next episode of the Feeding Curiosity Podcast. Thank you all for listening.